Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers at the Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire, joined by Stuart Weir on the show this week. As the show comes to you again from the Nations Cup in Cote d'Ivoire with the quarterfinals on this weekend and with Egypt, Cameroon and Morocco among the teams out already. We analyse the action and also we speak to former South Africa women's national team captain Amanda Clamini, who's made history as the first female member of the CAF commentary team at a men's AFCON. It's been really exciting, um, overwhelming to a certain extent. Um, mine was just to focus on my job really and to take this opportunity as a way of improving. That's coming up later. Also Stuart on the English Premier League and the FA Cup and on Jurgen Klopp's decision to leave Liverpool at the end of the season. So the show coming to you again from a Cote d'Ivoire at the Africa Cup of Nations. I'm in Abidjan now as the games are now finished in the lovely seaside city of San Pedro where I was based and uh, had a great time there. We were warmly welcomed. The brand new Laurent Poku Stadium was a super venue with good crowds and we had some exciting games. Uh, the DRC beating Egypt in the first penalty shootout of the tournament and South Africa stunning the pre-tournament favourites Morocco 2-0 on Tuesday night in the last of the round of 16 games. More on that shortly, so the quarterfinal lineup and some of these games might have been played already, depending on which day you're listening to the show. Uh, Friday, Nigeria against Angola and DR Congo against Guinea. Saturday, Mali against the host Cote d'Ivoire and South Africa playing Cape Verde. The top five ranked teams in Africa have all exited. So the pre-tournament favourites Morocco were stunned 2-0 by South Africa on Tuesday. Uh, despite their host of star players, the team that reached the World Cup semi-finals just over a year ago fell short and still wait for their first AFCON title since 1976. Well, South Africa did it with teamwork and continued their good form against North African teams. Remember, they knocked out the hosts Egypt in 2019, also at the round of 16 stage. Well, Bafana Bafana were Nations Cup winners as hosts in 1996, and Mark Fish was part of that team. Uh, he's been here as one of the official Africa Cup of Nations legends for this tournament, and I spoke to him. Uh, fantastic result against uh, a very good Moroccan team. Where um, my fourth game that I've seen of Morocco, and like I said, a very good Moroccan team, well organised, well well disciplined. You know, Bafana came here. You know, if we look at the results, and again, they just growing in confidence. You know, losing the opening game to Mali, beating Namibia, drawing to to uh, Tunisia, then coming here. Well disciplined, uh, Bafana performance. You know, uh, we showed today that um, North African teams we are becoming more disciplined, and then we have our natural flair that comes through and. Um, you know, fantastic goal to go, go one ahead and then you create your own luck. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Morocco, Hakimi missing a penalty because I think if that had, obviously, once again, if he had scored there, I think they had the momentum. And then uh, to Boko Mokwena to seal it with a fantastic free kick. So a fantastic moment for Bafana and for the team, for the technical team. And now it's hard work for the quarterfinal. So they're moving in the right direction and very proud as a South African and a former Bafana Bafana player of the team and their performance. Any feeling that this could be taking us back to your glory days? No, certainly. Uh, we, we want to say that. Uh, again, it is the quarterfinal. Let's take each game as it comes. But certainly, uh, there's of the eight teams left, five teams, five countries have never won it. Three teams have. South Africa, Ivory Coast and uh, uh, Nigeria have won it. Five other teams haven't. 
So turning out to be what they keep saying, probably the most exciting and best AFCON uh, thus far. But we do certainly feel that this is going in the direction of uh, the old glory days. And uh, well done to the team again and uh, to the t- technical staff. That's South Africa legend Mark Fish, who won the Nations Cup with Bafana Bafana in 1996. Let's take a look at some of the other action. A Cote d'Ivoire still in the tournament despite that crushing 4-0 loss to Equatorial Guinea in their last group game. They sneaked through as one of the best third-place finishers and also got through to the quarterfinals with a dramatic win against Senegal. My colleague Piers Edwards is in Yamasukro doing commentary on the games there. Uh, first, Piers, take us through the emotional highs and lows of Monday's round of 16 game where the host beat Senegal on penalties. Uh, thanks, Steve. Well, what a game it was on Monday night. Absolutely extraordinary. And, and what a roller coaster ride it has been for Ivory Coast and their supporters in particular at this tournament. Let's not forget them going into the game. A week before they had played the match, their fans were so uninspired by what they had seen in the group stages. Ivory Coast winning their opening game against Guinea-Bissau, but then losing at home against Nigeria for the first time in history and then suffering their biggest ever defeat in Ivory Coast, the Elephants against Equatorial Guinea of all people, that some fans didn't even want them to, to go into the second round. They thought they'd be humiliated. We know about the coaching changes. MS Faye, the interim coach, came in uh, just four days before the game, replacing Jean-Louis Gasset, who was uh, fired, according to the Ivorian Federation, uh, who resigned, according to Guy Demel, who then became uh, the assistant coach for Faye. But what a job Faye did and, and what changes he made as well. Uh, to my mind, it was a real surprise that Odilon Kosunu hadn't played a minute before his team, Bayer Leverkusen, a top of the Bundesliga, two points clear of Bayern Munich. And um, you don't get there without being a, a decent defender, and he's been a regular there. He came into the side, so too the likes of Jean-Michel Seri, who would end up as man of the match. Uh, Max Gradel, the 36-year-old, he went for experience. And he bolstered the team and he just brought them so much more solidly together. They went behind early on against the Senegalese, Habib Jallo firing home. But then they grew into the game and they just kept on coming wave after wave of orange attack, roared on by their fans who for once were absolutely inspired by what they could see. And they got absolutely everything they deserved. Ivory Coast, four minutes from time when Frank Kessier converted from the penalty spot. And then uh, once again in the penalty shootout, he then converted the winning kick in an emotionally charged uh, Yamasukro Stadium. It, it's the sort of win that can reignite a campaign. There's absolutely no two ways about it. It was an incredible job done by the coach and the players themselves. On a decent surface, let's not forget, for the first time, probably this tournament, given how questionable the, the one is at Alassane Ouattara in Abidjan. And they played superbly and they looked a team and they were all together and they were led absolutely brilliantly by Serge Aurier uh, and I have to say it was just a brilliant display hats off to Ivory Coast from hanging out of the competition by a thread to, to now being on the charge and being very very realistic contenders to go on and possibly win the title with the wind in their sails like that and who's to say that they won't be lifting the trophy on 11th of February I, you could easily see it happening yeah, well, there were huge celebrations all around the country, and we'll see how far uh, the elephants of Cote d'Ivoire can go in this tournament. Uh, now, the notable big teams knocked out in the round of 16, besides Morocco, were former champions Cameroon, Egypt, and Senegal. Uh, what would you say this tells us about where they are as teams right now, Piers? 
Yes, Cameroon, Egypt, Senegal. I think all at varying different phases, uh, to be honest. I think uh, let's start with Cameroon. They're a team in transition, I think. Uh, absolutely. They've got some young players coming into the, into the squad. But also, I think questions really do seriously have to be asked of uh, their coach, uh, Rigobert Song. He's failed at the, at the Youth Africa Cup of Nations. He failed in the African Nations Championship. He failed in the World Cup. It's pretty clear that he not really got what it is to be a top coach. And we didn't see many changes from him in games. He didn't get the best out of his team, certainly. And when you're 1-0 down to Nigeria and you, your best bet is to throw on Vincent Abubakar, who's not played in a long while... Surely there are more options than that. And it wasn't the first time it happened. He only threw on a, a substitute when they went 2-0 down against Senegal. Well, surely that's too late. So I imagine Song is on his way out. And, and I think we'll have to see then where Cameroon go from there. As for Senegal, well, I think you've got to say they were pretty unlucky. They, they got beaten on uh, penalties. They're not a bad side. They really missed the presence of Pap Gay, who was outstanding in the group stage as the midfielder who dropped into defence, missed the match through injury and he was a massive blow I felt for them. I don't think they become a bad side overnight in any way. I think they were a little bit rabbits caught in headlights against the Ivorians because they didn't necessarily see what was coming their way but they're still strong and they're still professional and they're still solid. Once again the question is will Aliou Cisse want to stay on for what is a very long World Cup campaign and then as for Egypt, well I felt a little bit sorry for Egypt, I must be honest. I thought they had real dynamism and energy in the group stages. Emam Ashur, as I understand it, he did a backflip in training which led to his concussion, which led to him missing the game which they lost on penalties against Democratic Republic of Congo. He was a big miss for them. So too, of course, uh, Mohamed Salah. But I think a little bit harsh. There's a meeting of the Egyptian FA on Sunday. Everybody seems to think that that's an indication that coach Rui Vittoria will be on his way out. But I thought he had a side playing pretty well and with really good energy, as said. So I don't think they were the worst Egypt side we've seen. Yeah, OK, so we'll see if the Egypt coach Rui Vitora keeps his job. And appears you've got Cape Verde against South Africa on Saturday there in Yamcro. You're going to be travelling to Bouake to do the game between Cote d'Ivoire and Mali. Yes, two absolutely fascinating ties. Cape Verde, well, they could get to the semi-finals of the competition for the first time, but they're up against the South African side who must be absolutely flying with confidence they've got a really good coach in Ugo Bros knows what he's doing he keeps a very settled side uh, and it's clear the team are buying into what he's doing and they had real confidence going into the game against Morocco with their man of the match Tabajo Mokwena saying afterwards that he said I knew we would win we've beaten them before we know where the gaps are so it was clear that they were well drilled as for Ivory Coast against Mali in Bouake, well, what a game. That is going to be a 40,000-seater stadium, and the atmosphere in that stadium is something else when it's full. I heard it earlier in the tournament when uh, Burkina Faso were playing there and packed it out against Algeria. really was incredible. So it's going to be something else uh, on Saturday. I would be stunned if Mali can stem the tide uh, that is going to come their way from Ivory Coast. If they do, they'll be worthy semi-finalists. But it's going to be an almighty ask. And I'd imagine the wave of emotion will take the Ivorians through.
Looking forward to that. That's Piers Edwards, uh, my colleague who's doing commentary on the games in Yamasukro. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, uh, Stuart on the English Premier League. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And lots on our social media throughout the tournament. Uh, do take a look at the posts and our listener questions. We've been asking for your predictions on the quarterfinal matches. You can have a look at that post on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now here at the Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire, I've been working with South Africa women's legend Amanda Tlamini. She's been my co-commentator on the games that were played in San Pedro. And Amanda made history as the first female member of the CAF commentary team at a men's Africa Cup of Nations. She played 105 times for South Africa, and after retiring in 2018, she became a studio analyst on Supersport TV and at South African PSL Games, and she was a match analyst at the 2022 Women's Africa Cup of Nations in Morocco, which South Africa finally won, having finished runners-up four times before. Well, I spoke to Amanda by the pool at the hotel we were staying at and first asked about her history-making time here in Côte d'Ivoire. It's been really exciting, um, overwhelming to a certain extent. Um, mine was just to focus on my job, really, and to take this opportunity as a way of improving and growing in broadcasting because I'm still fairly new. So um, the realisation of being the first uh, woman at a men's AFCON um, was I guess uh, very well received um, but then at the same time I'm not done yet and I think I'll celebrate it after the tournament <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean lots of focus on you but uh, it's, it's inspiring a lot of people Yeah, I guess it is inspiring a lot of people especially um, women across I guess the continent but especially at home uh, because it's something very rare it's the first time it's happening but there are so many other women in, in the broadcasting space but in commentary I guess it's uncharted territory and I guess a lot of people now see it as a reference that if uh, one person can do it then surely there are other talented women out there to join the commentary space yeah, sure. So it's been uh, great here at uh, AFCON, uh, San Pedro, a beautiful venue. What's uh, been your impressions uh, of the tournament, the way that things are run especially? CAF is just really trying by all means to make sure that, uh, I guess, uh, Cote d'Ivoire as a country are left with um, the right infrastructure and resources, I guess, to continue the legacy of, of AFCON. But uh, for the people of uh, Cote d'Ivoire as well to benefit, and I mean... Um, a town like the San Pedro, I think it's quite important to see that there's a brand new stadium uh, that has been developed and hopefully the people can benefit from such things. All right, let's go from AFCON to WAFCON, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, uh, you played at the finals, I think, three times. Uh, the time that South Africa finally won it, uh, you'd already hung up your boots. That was the 2022 edition uh, after Nigeria being such difficult opponents on, on so many occasions. How did it feel to finally see Banyana, Banyana getting an African title? Sure. I don't know if exciting can really describe it, but I remember just having um, a gentle conversation with Coach Desri. And I said to her, Coach, this is very personal. Um, and I wanted to make reference at the fact that she, from her generation as well, have been trying uh, 
um, to win this WAFCON. Um, the likes of Porsche Medusa came through with her generation. And then it was our generation. We kept trying, but we always just uh, fell so short. And this time around now, Banyana are just making things happen. They win the WAFCON um, in Morocco just after my birthday. And I thought, what a full circle moment to actually still be part of this, to celebrate um, not only that uh, generation of 2022, but all the other generations have contributed to seeing Banyana at this point. And to have to commentate that game and final, very overwhelming. Uh, at some point when the whistle blew, I think I took almost two minutes of just emotions crying because I just couldn't believe that they finally conquered. So you were in the commentary box on that famous day for South Africa. Tell us about some of the struggles uh, over the years as uh, Banyana battled uh, and failed to uh, win the WAFCON? Um, I guess it was um, no secret that in order for Banyana Banyana to improve, we had to play more games. And I think during our time, we'd probably have four friendly games in a year and look out for tournaments where we just have two weeks or a week to even prepare for a major tournament or a game. So I think sponsorship does really go a long way, and I feel that sponsors back home have really stepped up. Um, the federation as well, I think, could still do so much more to try and improve uh, the quality of the standard of football. But um, we have a, a local league now that's fully functional. It's not as yet professionalized, but the mere fact that um, the women back at home who play football are playing football on a regular basis, it certainly contributes to the national team doing a lot better. And I think we see the fruits, the exports as well, players applying uh, their trade overseas. That helps. And I think it, it did really um, help to push the bar a little bit higher. And um, I think the results are there. We can all see it. They've won WAFCON and um, every edition of the World Cup, they just keep getting better. So what are some of the lessons there that persistence pays? Persistent pays, uh, but also I feel like if, if it is that you're intentional about investments, especially where women's football is concerned, it's evident in the results. And I think um, everyone just deserves an opportunity. Um, but of course, I, I think the ladies as well have grabbed the opportunity and make sure that uh, they give a good account of themselves just so that sponsors can just keep knocking, whether it's individual sponsors that can really help them in terms of uh, the financial liberation that we're always looking for as individuals first and foremost, but as a group, um, the acknowledgement, the accolades that come with making sure that they participate at high level. That's the former South Africa women's national team captain Amanda Clamini and are making history at this Africa Cup of Nations as the first female member of the official CAF commentary team at a men's nations cup. We'll have the second part of this interview on next week's show as Amanda talks about the excitement of playing at the Olympic Games. Well, coming up, Stuart on the English Premier League and on Jurgen Klopp's announcement that he's leaving Liverpool. For that, on our website, planetsport.tv, we've got a new blog looking at how some of the upsets here at the Nations Cup show that teamwork pays. It's called Team Players Back Each Other and Find a Way to Win. Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. However you describe it, elite sportsmen and women seek glory. Yes, they want to perform to the highest level they can possibly achieve. But the bottom line is always that they want to win. Success is what many strive after, but only a few consistently achieve it. So, while many professional footballers will make a career in their sport, only the elite will lift trophies, some only once, a few many times over the years. 
And possibly the only thing that carries a similar status and sense of achievement is playing for one's country. Being selected is a true honor uh, that shows just how far you have come. Once selected, of course, uh, the dream is then to win a major tournament like the Africa Cup of Nations, the Asian Cup, the Euros, or even the World Cup itself. Yet there are many hugely talented players who never won a trophy, and some who were never selected for their country for all sorts of reasons. Some squandered their talent, others were part of a golden generation where competition for places was particularly fierce, others maybe lacked the motivation. Now, one of the delights at this Africa Cup of Nations has been seeing unfancied nations come to the fore, a players achieving a level many might not have predicted, causing upsets. And while some do have hugely talented individuals, all have played well as a team. Coaches have drilled their players so each one knows his job, and they have been inspired to play with heart and passion helping them overcome sides they were not expected to beat. And I wondered, watching some games unfold where big teams struggled, whether a few players' motivation was a little more for their own achievements than the success of their team. It might explain why some sides have looked disjointed, less of a team than a collection of individuals. And we all know that a team that plays for one another and the good of the team often overcomes a more talented side who do not have the same mindset. There's a verse in the Bible where the Apostle Paul is addressing division within the church. And he says, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The team where every player backs his teammates, regardless of his own ambitions, will be the one that rides through tough times and finds a way to win. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu, and you can read the full blog on our website, planetsport.tv, and the blog is called Team Players Back Each Other and Find a Way to Win. That's on our website, planetsport.tv. Well, now let's go to our European football experts, Stuart Weir in the UK. And, uh, well, first of all, Stuart, let's start with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool and that dramatic news uh, announced a week ago uh, that he is stepping down as the Liverpool manager at the end of the season. Well, I think it shocked the football world when he announced that he'd be leaving Liverpool at the end of this season after nine years. But, you know, while we now think of Liverpool as a giant of English football, actually when Klopp arrived in 2015, he was coming to a club which had not been champions of England since 1990, before the Premier League era. And during his eight completed seasons at Liverpool, Klopp has seen the club win the Premier League, both domestic cups. He's taken Liverpool to the Champions League final three times, winning once. But more than anything, he somehow has restored the confidence among the fans. His announcement that he will leave was a big shock, but actually, if you look at his previous experience, seven years at Mainz, seven years at Dortmund, and now nine at Liverpool. And he is the longest-serving manager in the Premier League. In fact, of the 20 Premier League managers, only seven have been there for more than two years. 
Klopp said, I love absolutely everything about this club. I love everything about the city. I love everything about our supporters. I love the team. I love the staff. I love everything. But that I'm taking this decision shows you how convinced I am that it's the one I have to take. I am running out of energy and I know I cannot do the job again and again and again. He said he wants to enjoy normal life away from the constant pressure before he's too old to do so. He also added that he would not have any say in the appointment of a successor. You know, when former Liverpool legend Stephen Gerrard took Glasgow Rangers to their first Scottish league title in years and was then appointed manager of Aston Villa, people were saying he was just getting some Premier League experience to make him the favourite to succeed Klopp. Then, fired by Aston Villa after only 10 months, unable to get another job in England, Gerrard has been working in Saudi Arabia and is frankly unlikely to be in the frame for the Liverpool job. There are so many things to like about Klopp. You know, Jose Mourinho called himself the special one. Klopp, at his first press conference, said, I'm the normal one. And my personal overriding memory of Klopp was an early game when his Liverpool team were beaten by Bournemouth in a Premier League game they would have been expected to win. How did Klopp react? By going onto the pitch and shaking hands with every Bournemouth player. Just class. Yeah, absolutely. And um, certainly it'll be interesting to see who will take over from Klopp. Uh, meanwhile, uh, midweek games in the English Premier League and uh, Liverpool maintain their five-point lead at the top, Stuart. Yes, with Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal and Tottenham all winning, they are now the top four in the Premier League. Liverpool lead by five points, but Manchester City have a game in hand. But one game which I thought was really significant was Liverpool beating Chelsea 4-1, and it could have been 6 or 7. Liverpool-Chelsea used to be, traditionally, one of the top games of the season, but not anymore. The gap between the two is so wide. With Chelsea, mid-table, 20 points behind Liverpool. You know, was it a billion dollars spent on new players? And the team still looks average. Last Saturday... Luton won at Everton in the FA Cup and then midweek beat Brighton 4-0 to lift them above Everton and out of the bottom three. Sheffield United are currently nine points from safety and Burnley seven. Neither looks good enough to survive. Could Luton Town, that tiny team with a small stadium, beat the odds and survive? They have been helped by Everton's points deduction and the threat to Nottingham Forest that they could suffer a similar fate would do them no harm. And with Brentford and Crystal Palace showing poor form, the battle to survive at the bottom of the table will be intriguing. Yeah, we'll see if they can survive. And um, English FA Cup, some interesting results there, Stuart. Well, absolutely. And the standout result is Maidstone United, non-league club, who went to Ipswich Town second in the championship and won 2-1. Ipswich didn't pick their strongest team. Ipswich didn't take Midstone seriously and they paid the price. And Steve, let's not forget the African connection because Midstone have a Cameroonian manager, George Elokobi, and what a good job he did. Manchester United put out their strongest team away to League One Newport, won 2-1 up 
and then suddenly conceded two goals before winning 4-2. But the big story there was that Marcus Rashford was not on the team because he had been filmed drinking in a nightclub 48 hours before the game and was left out. The round of the last 16 of the FA Cup will be played in the weekend of the 26th of February. With several replays still to be played, there's a bit of uncertainty, but there will be a maximum of 10 Premier League clubs left. Luton Town will be at home to Manchester City, Liverpool at home to either Watford or Southampton, and Nottingham Forest, if they win their replay at home to Bristol City, will host Manchester United. Those should be the standout ties. Calvin Phillips has just left Manchester City to go on loan to West Ham. He's a great example of how tough it is to join a big club and make an impact. Go back 18 months. Phillips had played over 200 league games for Leeds United, had 25 caps for England, and he got his dream move to Manchester City. But in the last season and a half, Phillips failed to start one league game for Manchester City. This season, he got four appearances, totaling 90 minutes as a substitute. He's no longer in the England team. He just got lost in City's enormous squad. It just emphasises how hard it is to break into the team at a top club. Steve, I don't know if you noticed, but Everton have set a rather unwelcome record. They have conceded this season an own goal in all three domestic competitions, the Premier League, the FA Cup and the League Cup. And Steve, you may be wondering why you haven't heard me talk much about big money signings in the transfer window that's just ended. And that's really because there haven't been any. Clubs have only spent $50 million. That's about a 20th of what was spent last year. And this is an example of how clubs are now wary of the financial fair play rules of which Everton and Nottingham Forest have got into trouble. So there have been no big money signings and far less transfers than usual. Sure. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week from the Africa Cup of Nations. So the quarterfinals on this weekend, semifinals next Wednesday. The final is on Sunday the 11th. So from me, Steve Vickers in Abidjan and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.